The Right Hook Podcast. With the Mitsubishi Commercial Range, Pajero Executive, Pajero Commercial, Outlander Business and new L200. All with a leading five-year commercial warranty. MitsubishiMotors.ie It's Thursday and this is George Hook with The Right Hook on News Talk. Here's a digest of some of the items we had on the programme today. Well, uh, yesterday we had that extraordinary phone call from Paddy Cavan in Kerry because his 18-year-old sister, Breda, uh, was uh, in an induced coma waiting on a bed and it seemed as if a bed wasn't going to be available. Um, we we raised it on the programme. There was a, a dramatic response from, to be fair, politicians, all anonymous, uh, not wanting to, to uh, jump on a bandwagon, as it were, huge number of people on Twitter and on text and great offers like the helicopter company offered to fly her anywhere in Ireland. But the news is great. Almost as we speak, Breda is being prepared uh, on a stretcher to be transferred by ambulance to Cork for the operation on her airways which will give her a chance of life. It remains, obviously, uh, worrying for for the family, but we've got over the first hurdle. We've got her a bed, and we've got her a hospital in Cork, and everybody involved uh, has our gratitude on behalf of the Caban family. Uh, 34 days on now from the election, uh, there's contact uh, I only thought this happened in the movies of E.R. Call Home, but apparently it happens in politics as well. And Mihal Martin has called Enda Kenny. This is fantastic. A phone call. Have a listen. He seemed to indicate that by tomorrow he would have some idea around the headlines that he'll, he'll have agreed were discussed with the independents. Not clear that he's going to get sign off with the independents on anything tomorrow. I mean, I know that people are anxious to know. Uh, when a government is going to be formed and all of that, but I think we're some uh, few weeks away from that, Chad. We are a distance and a half. Uh, I, I consistently say to all the experts, this is a simple arithmetic. All the governments they're talking about don't have enough numbers. They just don't have enough numbers. So they're looking for another party across the floor to support them. The only government that has numbers is Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. 90-odd seats, and ask the government. Simple. Now, everybody will tell me it's not simple. But ultimately, that is what the people voted for. They may well say, well, we didn't vote for it. I know you didn't. You didn't vote for the Greens in coalition. You probably didn't vote for Labour in coalition with Fianna Fáil. You probably didn't vote for the Progressive Democrats to be in coalition. But that's what the numbers said. And this is now what the numbers are saying. We have two parties uh, that there isn't a shred of difference between them other than their past. And one would like to think that when we're talking about forming a government, we're talking about a future. And we ought to be looking at a future of a different Fianna Fáil and a different Fine Gael to give us what we need. Uh, there is a world out there. There is a world economy out there. There is terrorism out there. There is an emergency crisis in refugees out there. And we're wondering, is Enda going to talk to me, all Martin, on the phone? Just please give me a break and give us a government or give us an election. Because that's the choice. It's government or election. Well, um, 
The Minister for the Environment is Alan Kelly in a classic performance of closing the stable door after the horse has bolted, he called the Homelessness Forum. He calls the forum when in the first two months of this year, 364 children are rendered homeless, uh, not to mention how many adults and families that actually represents. Uh, Focus Ireland have said it's 208 families in the first two months alone. 208 families, and your man is calling a talking shop. Um, here's how he justifies the inaction on an issue of homelessness. When you come up with the constitutional situation we have in this country, you cannot execute them to the way, in the way in which you really feel you need to, because you will lose, lose the legal case. And we certainly need to talk about this, because I found uh, that when it came to dealing with a number of these issues, a lot of people uh, talked about what they could do. But when they were faced up with reality or faced up with the facts that I had advice-wise, legal advice in relation to these issues when it came to the Constitution, we were very limited. All right, I must say De Valera definitely in 1937 said in his constitution uh, about the family and the children. He also said, listen, it doesn't really matter if they have a home over their head, uh, a roof over their head. Give me a break, will you? I do not believe that a constitution says that you can't house people. As the constitution says, you have to put them in a hotel or disused convent or any other kind of appalling places that the families are expected to bring up. The answer is... Is clear. It is a supply problem. But there are issues that you could do. The Constitution does not say you cannot change the rent supplement. If you change the rent supplement and made it that people could then rent houses with with money that would actually be economically viable, and it goes on, it goes on, it goes on. Uh, the Constitution is not a recipe for inaction. I have, I have a pain in my butt from saying that after World War II, the British government appointed an ordinary MP to be the czar of housing because they had a shortage. Czar of housing, my backside as far as this government is concerned. They're, they're more, they're, there is more interest in traffic lights than there is in people. Uh, it's a sad day for me because I, I can't imagine a Christmas for, for got to be over 20 years that, that millions of us didn't tune in for the two Ronnies. They were two of the greatest comic talents on, on British television. Uh, they made Christmas. Um, I know there were other Christmas ones, but, but these two guys were just absolutely extraordinary. Uh, here's a memory of Ronnie Corbett. And so to our first contender. Good evening. Your name, please. Uh, good evening. Your, first week, your chosen subject was answering questions before they were asked. This time, you have chosen to answer the question before last each time. Is that correct? Charlie Smithers. <laughs> four candles. Four candles. No, four candles. Well, there you are, four candles. No, four candles. Candles <laughs> for forks. Georgie, porgie, it's nearly as drunk as me. He's had 14, I've had 23. That's all we've got time for this evening, so it's good night from me. And it's good night from him. Good night. Good night. Good night. 
the incredible uh, Ronnie Corbett died this morning, aged 85. Uh, a giant, if not in stature, uh, certainly in performance. And uh, Mike thinks we shouldn't pay TDs till we have a government. I, I think they're all quick solutions. You know, the answer is clear. Uh, the Irish people have spoken with 90 seats. Uh, give us a government. Don't give us a government, uh, what Eamon Ryan calls a rainbow coalition. If you have 15 uh, TDs, you'd be lucky to get any three of the 15 who actually agree about anything. How how does how does Halligan and Waterford compare to Matty McGrath in, in Tipperary, to Healy Ray and Kerry? And it just goes on. They have nothing in common other than the fact that they are TDs and they would want something for their own constituency so they would get elect, uh, elected. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. Mitsubishi Motors.ie Now in studio with me is the Director General of the Central Statistics Office, uh, Porrick Dalton, who the, centra- the CSO Porrick is in Cork. Yeah, George, that's right. First of all, thanks for inviting me down to talk to you. Yeah, the CSO is headquartered out in Skihard Road, and we have two other offices then, one in Rathmines and one in Swords, actually, where the census operation is run, run from. All right. Now, we're, as we speak, the forms are going out. Now, I haven't got one yet. So how many forms do you think you've got out so far? Yeah, well, as of yesterday evening, we had about 28% of all forms delivered. And as you can appreciate, we're trying to get a, a form to every single household in the state. So stay patient. Uh, the enumerators are out there. I, I was up in Kilkenny at the weekend with my mother-in-law, and the enumerator called in and dropped off the forms. But so. there's an important thing here. They can't stick it in the letterbox. No, what's really important, of course, from our perspective is that we make contact with every household in advance of census night to ensure that, of course, people are aware of the importance of filling out the form. But, of course, it is also a legal obligation. So we have to avoid a situation where people are, you know, claiming they're not going to be around for uh, census night. And in that scenario, the enumerator must make contact, must get the name of the individual, and where appropriate, get evidence that the person or the household oh, is going to be away. Um, because, as I said, it is a legal obligation, and it's in everybody's interest. It's in your interest and my interest as citizens to ensure we get the yeah. best information. How far back have we got censuses? Uh, the first census was back in 1841, and, and actually, interestingly, that was the, the, the population was about 6.5 million at that stage. Compared with now, Compared what are you expecting from 2016? Yeah, well, the, the population, the most recent estimate is in April 15, and the fo- population at that stage was 4.635 million. So we expect it to be just around that or above the 4.635 figure. And 18 what? 60? 1841, and it was 6.5 million. Wow. Yeah. We've got a a fair, amazing, the interest in the census yesterday because the Humanist Association were cribbing, you know, that they weren't represented in the religion section. And they were saying you shouldn't have Roman Catholic and and all that. Explain what you're trying to do in that religion section. Yeah, well, of course, the religion section, like all our questions, we're trying to capture the social diversity of the state. And the religion question has been on the census right back along. So the continuity, of course, in the way we ask the question is very important so we can compare one census to another. But, of course, we know that there are groups out there and and the Atheist Society and the Humanist Association of Ireland have views on how the religion question should be changed to maybe perhaps capture their perspective a little differently. We're very conscious of that. 
But we ran into an issue with Census 2016 in that the decision around census doesn't happen in 2016. It happens in back in 2012, 2013. And there was a big risk, actually, at that stage that there wouldn't be any census at all because of the fact that we were part of a fiscal program. Um, the, the state was in a, in a very difficult fiscal situation. So what was agreed at that stage, st that stage was that the 26th census would be an exact repeat of the census 2011. Um, and therefore, none of the questions were reviewed. Um, none the, we normally have a public consultation, after which point we run a pilot because you don't want to just throw a question into the census that you're not sure is going to work because it's quite a scientific thing. So before we put a change a question in the census, we have to test it properly. But, but for argument's sake, if if you didn't put in, because the first religion box is Roman Catholic, right? Yes. If you didn't put in Roman Catholic in 2016, then how do you compare with 2011? Because it would suddenly seem that you had, say, two million Roman Catholics in 2011. Now you have none. Well, obviously, look, we're capturing, what we will do is we'll capture how people, it's a self-assessed self completion. So if you feel that your religious belief is best represented by the Roman Catholic category, you mark that particular box. Okay. There's also an option for no religion, and there's also an option to write in whatever your religion is. So we, we are, while some people view the question as being imperfect, it does actually provide the mechanism for people to reflect their religious beliefs. Okay, there's an interesting thing you say there. There's an option to write in. This actually means that you must have quite uh, a, a, a kind of human involvement because somebody has to read these things if they're written in. You can't sort of, like the checks in the bank, run them through some kind of machine. Well, no, we've actually got a very sophisticated way of processing the census yeah. forms. We have what these uh, scanners, yeah. so our scanners can optically recognise um, the, the writing. So the, the scanning recognition levels are, are, are very high. Um, but for those records or those characters that the scanners can't recognise, we obviously have a pool of staff who will filter through all the forms and make a, make an assessment as to what the appropriate letter is. But, I mean, it's, it's a very high quality scanning operation and uh, we, we haven't had any problems with that in the past. Well, what about people who are out of the country on census night? Do they still fill in the form or what? No, no. The, the, the way it works is that the, the census form is to be filled out by everybody who's present on census night at the location that they are present in. So, for example, if I was away um, from home on census night, obviously my wife will fill out the census form. I won't be included in the census form, which there is a, a, a box which looks for people who are usually resident in the household but who are absent on census night, and I will be captured in that part of the census form. Uh, the, um, there are now, for instance... You know, just today we heard there in two months of this year, first two months, 280 families, 364 children homeless, living in hotels. Are they going to be captured by the census? Absolutely, yeah. I think it's it's one of the most important things about the census is that we capture absolutely everybody. So the census is not just about everybody, it's for everybody. So we have um, put processes and procedures in place. We're working, working with the Simon community, Focus Ireland, Dublin Regional Homeless Executive, um, and we will be counting all homeless people, whether they're sleeping rough or whether they're in emergency accommodation. And just as we did in 2011, we will prepare a dedicated report on the homeless, which will hopefully inform the debate and hopefully inform policy decisions around the homeless. The, the, Robert Richard de Manon is saying the enumerator goes through the form with you on the doorstep. Do they? 
if it's necessary. So if, if a householder feels that they need to clarify a question, they can, of course, do that with the enumerator. Some people don't need that, and therefore they just hand it back to the enumerator, and the enumerator checks it and makes sure it's been filled out correctly. All right, because there's a, there's a delivery and collection. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, people in England for the week, the, the simple answer is, if you're not... In the place you're supposed to be on census night, you don't fill it out. That's isn't correct. That, yeah. that, I mean, it's a very simple answer. Very simple, yeah. What was somebody on to me about yesterday where there was nothing for your maiden name in the census? Well, I think what we do try to capture it for people is, you know, my wife, for example, keeps her maiden name, so yeah. she will go onto the census form using her maiden name. So it's a choice that everybody makes when they're filling out the question form, filling out the questionnaire. Oh, so you can say George Hook and Ingrid Palm, for absolutely. instance. Absolutely, yeah. Once, once, once that's exact. Once that's the name you're using, well, then that's totally uh, okay from our perspective that you would fill it out as you you would you would use your name normally. One of the ones, a listener, uh, Jack, in turn, you're, and it was one that struck me every time I fill the census form out because I've an interest in it. The Irish language, yeah. um, because the reality is that so few of us have fluency in Irish. Isn't that true? Well, yeah, well, absolutely, in terms of fluency, in terms yeah. of speaking it in a very so fluent conversation So what are you trying to way. achieve with that? Well, I think what you're trying to achieve, you're trying to capture the change in, I suppose, the usage of the language over time. I think, again, it's it's one of these things that the self, the census is a, as a, as a survey or a, a census where you, you fill out the question yourself and you try and capture your own sense of your ability to speak Irish. So the first part of the question says, can you speak Irish? It's up to you to say whether you can or you can't. And if you say that you can, well, then you're asked to determine, you know, what your level of uh, ability is in speaking Irish uh, in the, in the, in the follow-up question. Because, yeah, the whole point about this sentence, like, it's not an idle job that, like, it's just we want everybody to waste their time. The whole point about this is huge decisions are made based on that very information. Like, for instance, uh, on our program tonight, we are going to Balbriggan because based on 2011 census, we looked at the most culturally diverse towns in Ireland, i.e. who had a high percentage of non-Irish in town. We couldn't have done that without a census. No, absolutely. I think if you look at any big infrastructural project that's run in the state, whether it's health, education, childcare, all of these during the planning phase will use census data. But what I think is really important about the census data is it's the one time every five years where we get the opportunity to provide really good high quality data at small area community level and you know the small area communities use this like the community councils whether they're looking for funding for tidy towns or the development of playgrounds for children or sports sports associations a lot of my friends from, from sports over the years ring me every now and then and say Padraig have you got data on my local area because we're trying to look for funding or trying to put in a business case for okay. X and Y and they're using the census data for that so it's, it's for everybody. All right, thank you for joining me. Census night is 24th of April. Uh, Podrick Dalton, Director General of the Central Statistics Office. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie well, in our continuing series looking at uh, cultural diversity around Ireland, we've, we've gone to dance where, based on the 2011 census, there is a substantial proportion of the dance population non-Irish. Uh, today, we're looking at Balbriggan uh, in uh, 
County Dublin, where in 2011 there was uh, pretty well 20,000 people uh, in the town, uh, but over a fifth of them were non-Irish. Now, that was 2011, and of course the 2016 census will show a different figure, and almost certainly in the case of somewhere like Balbriggan, that percentage might well increase. I'm joined by Gareth Mullen, who set up that wonderful initiative, Show Racism the Red Card, and the Independent Councillor for Balbriggan, Tony Murphy. Gentlemen, welcome. Gareth, if I can go to you first, um, what do you see as the big issue in Balbriggan? Well, I think we have a legacy over the last 15 years of a lot of housing development uh, in Balbriggan and not necessarily the infrastructure put in place. And that's an issue that affects all people uh, in, in Balbriggan, both Irish and non-Irish. And we do have a significant numbers of people from new communities in the estate where I live in, for example. I think there are 40 different nationalities within a housing estate of 250 houses. But I did listen to your programme yesterday and there's a similar challenge, which is the challenge of integration. People living parallel lives, not coming into contact with each other, not knowing their neighbours. And there there can be tensions around that. And so that, that can be a challenge. Now, integration, one of the first things that one would have thought that you need to integrate in any community, whether it's us going away or people coming to us, is knowledge of language. Uh, what is coming out of my visits to, to different towns on, on this radio programme, on this topic, is that the more recent migrants from the Middle East and the African continent and so on, language is a big problem. Well, I suppose at this stage, we have quite a significant immigrant population. So there are lots of immigrants who are working in jobs and speaking English and all the rest of it. But I think Tony might verify this better than myself because he was campaigning in the recent election and he would have been knocking on a lot of doors and probably been answered by people not having a lot of English. I know the Integration Forum and Balbriggan also have quite a significant waiting list for English classes, so there is a lot of demand. I, th- I think the census even quantified it as about seven or eight hundred out of four thousand, four and a half thousand immigrants in Balbriggan who would have cited themselves as having poor English. So there is evidence to that, all right. You did mention the word tension, and you're somebody whose uh, con- liberal conscience needs no explanation by me because of the initiative you set up, show racism the red card. Um, what what kind of tensions do you mean? I think in general, we can see people getting on well together. But if you talk to people, they will cite examples. For example, in schools, there was a survey done by the Teachers Union of Ireland nationally, which found that 45% of teachers had witnessed racism in the classroom in the month previous to their conference. That was a few years back. People can stick to the groups that they know, and that's can be within nationalities that they know and also leave out people that aren't within those groups. So it, 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 those kind of tensions can fester. So integration needs active assistance. That said, th- there are some good uh, 
examples in Balbriggan. The football club there have grown in leaps and bounds. They have about 500 members, including a lot of young people from immigrant backgrounds and a few of their parents who are involved as volunteers. But that uh, the volunteering could, could increase. Uh, that, that was one issue okay. that I picked up on. All right. Now, you did mention Tony Murphy. He's with us, the independent councillor for Balbriggan. Tony, welcome to the programme. Thank interesting, you very much, Interesting canvas. The point Garrett Mullen made that there are like 40 different nationalities in an estate at 250 houses. That was quite a canvassing challenge. Well, it was. And um, I tell you, part of the problem was that a lot of the um, migrants aren't eligible to vote um, and weren't aware of the process, which was, uh, again, in itself, uh, a task that needed to be managed to try and make sure that these people had an opportunity to be relevant in their own community and and cast a vote, which is very, very important. Um, And I think it is a challenging issue. Um, It's been an issue locally and nationally. And I think some of the migrants who were... uh, uh, registered could could vote in the local election, but um, because they were of, of different nationalities, they weren't allowed to uh, vote in the general election, which is an anomaly that exists that's somewhat questionable. But um, to go back to where Gareth is saying, um, I think part of part of the problem, the way I see it, with regard to detentions, um, somewhat comes across to me from the fact that we have a very very high level of unemployment in in Balbriggan. Um, we're probably sitting at around thirteen and a half percent, which is uh, way above the national average, and that in itself creates stress on 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 services, and that again can 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 lead to tension. Also, you know, so you would have. Uh, um, uh, high levels of people congregating around the post office, waiting on on, on welfare payments, etc. You know, and then going back to the issue around um, looking at the English speaking piece, and I would agree with Gareth on that that there is again there is a, there is a deficit. While um, speaking English as a, as a language is not an issue for most people, but uh, the written word is very challenging, and that in itself can actually be very limiting when people are actually looking to to get employment. Yeah, but uh, you're an independent councillor for Balbriggan, Tony Murphy. And again, there are two questions I put there. One is, uh, as we go through the towns, Ballyhonas, Longford, and now Balbriggan, we, we see there is a distinct difference between the integration of the Eastern Europeans, who invariably came here for a job, because of the construction boom largely, but for some kind of job. And now people from the Middle East and the African continent who are there uh, almost because they were deposited there, not that they necessarily went there to get a job. Is that right? That'd be right um, to a degree. I would say that the reason that Balbriggan has a high percentage of um, African nation um, people is because we're, we're very, very close to uh, Mosley, a direct provision centre for asylum seekers. And there was a, I mean, a significantly higher proportion of asylum seekers um, and people of African origin um, in Balbriggan than there is in other parts of, of Fingal. Um, so, I mean, that can be very challenging for people as well, you know. So the fact that they're, they haven't come here essentially, if what you're saying correct, um, to, to work, um, 
then that creates an issue within the whole, again, um, issue with the public service providers because it puts stress on everything. But and, it, yeah, yeah, but there's one other point I, I don't get, Tony. Um, I, I, I've gone to Ballyhonas over the radio, to Ballyhonas, to Longford and to Balbriggan that are essentially towns that either are deemed to be or could be deemed to be disadvantaged and this is where our government has chosen to put people there seems to be a complete contradiction in that I would agree with you entirely. I think that um, when you look at um, the numbers of people that are disadvantaged um, in, in the Balbriggan area and then you question why you might put um, an, an, another stress on, on the services in, in the area. We have, I mean, Balbriggan, let's not be, be, call it anything other than, I mean, it's, it's a very strong traditional working class town and it's had a very, very long established high percentage of social housing. But we've always had tremendously good employers and we've always had um, good, as I'd say, or maybe better than average um, employment. What's happened in in the last um, sort of say ten years? You might call it the perfect storm. We had an economic boom. We had a, a, a doubling of our population. We've had um, uh, particularly, I'd say, a lot of the housing is so much suspect with one and two bed apartments totally proliferating the whole town. And then you actually have um, a strong inward migration, uh, which peaked in two thousand and six. And one of the biggest issues we had in that time was that there was no school places available and um, no one could have predicted what had happened, but it ended up that through the, the, the natural system that existed at the time, um, a lot of the African kids couldn't find school places. And um, okay. so Brigham was being, being hammered for being racist, and it wasn't. It was just that the, 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 um, the places just didn't exist here. I am not now trying to stoke racism. That's very important. No more than you are when you talk about the school places. But if you put, isn't and you're a politician, so so I mean it's fair to put this question to you, even though you're not in power. Um, the the issue is that if you put people from a, a foreign land to who are a diff, from a different culture who don't speak English into an area where unemployment is above the national average, they are in competition with jobs. They are in competition with school places, and it would be the most understandable reaction in in the, the, by anybody to say, "Well, hang on a minute here. I'm Irish and I can't get a job," or or I, my child is Irish and can't get a school place. Um, that does nothing. And this isn't about ball-breaking. This is about the whole principle of how we're handling this, that we are creating tensions by putting people in the wrong place. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. And I think there has to be proportional distribution as well in order to have proper integration. And what Gareth was saying there, and he's correct in saying that when you have high percentages of particular sort of say, minority groups in an area, it, like we did ourselves as Irish people in parts of London and all over England, that we, we, we hung together because it was safe. We were able to get information and uh, it's just the natural thing to do. And I think if you have uh, high levels, high percentages of Polish or um, uh people from, from the African nations, that again, they will do exactly the same. And that in itself doesn't assist in, in, in proper integration. So both the indigenous population resent it and also the people who have come to, to, to live here and are stressed because they're actually um, in the wrong place with poor service. And that doesn't help either. So um, 
I would say that it has to be there has to be a serious look at how you distribute um, people from different minority groups into communities that are well serviced and well placed to service right. those, those people. All right, thank you so much, Garrett Mullen there, who set up the show Racism, the Red Card, and my um, last speaker, the Independent Councillor for Balbriggan, Tony Murphy. Well, I'm joined now by the member of the Balbriggan Integration Forum, Alice Davis. Alice, welcome to the program. Uh, obviously, working as you do with the Balbriggan Integration Forum, you know all about it. Explain uh, how integration has worked in Balbriggan. Well, George, um, Balbriggan Integration Forum was founded about uh, three or four years ago and we, with the help of uh, a facilitator, with the support of Corja, we organised ourselves to be inclusive, to have representatives from the various communities, as local people as well, as well as many agencies such as the public health nurses, the county council people, all of those. But I was talking... Um to the councillor in Balbriggan, Tony Murphy, and Garrett Mullen. Um, and one of the points they were making, uh, well, two points they were really making, Garrett made the point that in his estate of 250 houses, there are 40 different nationalities, which is mind-boggling. And then secondly, that language uh, for many of the more recent migrants from the Middle East and Africa, for instance, uh, is a great difficulty. Is that so? That is so, particularly with adults. And uh, one of the first programmes that we've started up is English language classes for adults. We started with the Falchers Jock programme. And after that, uh, with the the support of uh, the SICAP funding, uh, Fingal County Council and the Education Training Board, we now are in a position to assess adults and their level of English and progress them on further so we know how much English they know and how much English they need for the future. We have the problem of children interpreting for their parents, you know, at parent-teacher meetings and at doctor's appointments and that. So that is a big problem. The, the, the problem for people who have no English, the people you talk about, and particularly uh, African nations and so on, it must make getting a job well-nigh impossible if you don't have English. It does. I mean, that guarantees they're unemployed. Yes, it does. Uh, on the positive side of that, some languages, people from coming from certain countries in Africa would have French and Portuguese. So those languages are useful to the likes of the multinational companies in Ireland. All right. Okay. The point was made earlier by, by Garrett Mullen and Tony Murphy um, that that there's a, if you have a, an area with the unemployment running at 13 or 14% and then you bring a lot of people in, uh, it creates tensions. Now, the Balbriggan Integration Forum, of which you're a member, is doing its level best to integrate. But it must be actually quite hard if there's integration. I mean, the locals must be looking slightly over their shoulders, no matter how well-meaning people are. Well, that would be true. And um, we're lucky in the sense, I don't think the tensions are that high at the moment. But uh, it does, it's a mixture of things as well. With the recession, um, there has been no resources put into Balbriggan. So, for example, we only have three youth workers for the whole town. And that's that's minute. Um, so the resources are, are necessary to go into the town as well. 
for everybody. I'm also joined by Ayo Dele Yosu uh, from the Balbriggan Women's Group. Uh, Ayo, welcome to the programme. Thank you very much. Where are you from? I'm from Nigeria. But you've been in Ireland a long time. Yes, I've been in Ireland for the past um, close to 10, 11 years now. So what are your thoughts now? You've lived here over 10 years. What are your thoughts about Balbriggan uh, and Ireland generally as as somebody who's come from Africa? Okay, um, my thoughts about the integration in Ireland is that it's a bit improved compared to when it was when I first came in. The, initially, when some of us came into Ireland, it was a bit like, oh, you guys go back to your country. But now people are more receptive of the um, nationals from other countries. The barriers is being broken down now. Then when it comes to Barbrigan, people are more receptive in the sense that um, there is kind of like the job that the Barbrigan Integration Forum is doing, trying to bring people together through activities, intercultural activities, um, training and education. It makes everybody open to um, to welcome each other, learning about each other's diverse cultures and um, background, the food and all sorts, you know, is kind of changed compared to when it was, where people would say, oh, they've come to take our jobs, they've come to take our money, things like that. I think there is a big improvement, even though it's slow in coming, but I think there is a big improvement in that. Okay, now my guest is Ayo Daliosu uh, from Nigeria, member of the Balbriggans Women's Group. Now, Ayo, you've been very frank talking about attitudes when you first came and attitudes now. Um, one of the points that we, everybody talks about when we discuss this is the difficulty for adults who don't have English uh, in trying to integrate or get a job or whatever. Now, uh, you have an accent, of course, because you're Nigerian, but we have no difficulty understanding you at all. So your English is perfect. Um, but what was it like when you first came 10 years ago? Well, I have my English before coming to Ireland. I remember going to, into the hospital first time, and somebody, one of the nurses were like, oh, you have a, a good English language. Did you learn it in Ireland? I was like, no. I have English as my first language back home in Nigeria. But to solve that problem for those people who do not have the English is to really, really provide um, a source of avenue for them to learn English. Because that is the only way that can make people to integrate more when they have English as their first as a language that they can communicate with others with, apart from their own mother tongue. I'm not saying the mother mother tongue should be boycotted on anything, but it should, the English should be there. Should be enough classes for people to attend to get, a, which is not really so. Like in Barbiga now, there is English classes being organized for those who do not have English as their first okay. language. And you know, the candidates that or the people that are waiting on that program are more than the available resources that is there for them. So it's the effort needs to be put into place to pull, uh, to encourage more people to go out to assess the program. All right. Um, 
Thank you so much. That was Ayo Dele Yusu uh, from the Balbriggan uh, Women's Group, originally from Nigeria, uh, who put me absolutely right that she had English before she came to Ireland. Well done, Ayo, for putting me right. Uh, and also the member of the Balbriggan Integration Forum, Alice Davis.